Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In chapter 10 of his Monologium, Anselm is going to make a very interesting distinction. And that distinction ties in with what you could call his master argument or set of arguments running throughout the Monologium. Specifically, it's there to try to explain what just got discussed in in chapter 9, which runs throughout other parts of the work, namely that created things before they're created exist in a certain way in the divine word. And the, the question that he's trying to grapple with is, well, how? How do they exist in the divine word? You know, are, are they, or the divine reason? There's some sort of expression or utterance within that, but how do they, how does that work? And when we say have utterance or expression here, that's a translation of the Latin term locutio, which can also mean speaking. We get elocution from that as well. And so Anselm is going to distinguish between three types of utterances or expressions, or we might say three modes. And the argument is going to be ultimately that only one of these types is the type that corresponds to how the divine word thinks of or or speaks or however you want to put it. The things that, that are not yet in existence into existence through creation. But this has a lot of interesting ramifications for us human beings, even if we put aside all this discussion of the divine word. And what he's saying here, as a side note, also ties in importantly with the ontological argument, and it ties in with Anselm's very important work on truth and the conception of different kinds of truth. So put all that in your back pocket, and let's let's look at what this distinction actually is. So Anselm is going to say, we know from frequent experience that we can say one and the same thing in three ways. And there's three ways that are being distinguished here. You notice that the third way actually can be distinguished into two different kinds of ways. So we might say there's there's four ways, but at least there's a distinction between different kinds of sayings or expressing things. He says, we can say a thing by making perceptible use of perceptible signs. What does that mean? Signs that can be perceived by the bodily senses. So what would, what would those be? Well, I'm making signs like that right now. I'm talking to you. You're hearing what I'm saying. That's hearing. I've written things up on the chalkboard. Those are words and letters. Those are signs, right? And the signs are, as we know, not the thing, but they in some way signify the thing, right? So they are signs, and and our use of them is perceptible. You can hear me talking, and if you were talking to me, which you're not, because you're on the other end of the camera, I would hear you. When you write your YouTube comments about this, I will look at the letters and the words that you you have, and those will be perceptible signs. Okay, so that's one very important way. Now, he says that we also can think in our minds those signs to ourselves. So, think about the word perceptible. Now, kind of imagine that in, in your head. Look away from the screen and just think 
perceptible. Spell it for yourself, right? When you have to spell something, you're not doing it out loud, but just inwardly, as, as he's saying here, thinking imperceptibly within ourselves, the very same signs that are perceptible when they are outside ourselves. That is one way in which we do, in fact, exercise our minds. Thank goodness everybody isn't always saying everything that's on their mind, everything that they're thinking. As a matter of fact, sometimes people are surprised when they were thinking something to themselves and it pops out of their mouth. Because there's a distinction between perceptible use of signs and imperceptibly thinking those perceptible signs within your head. Right? Dr. Sandler should get a new jacket because he's had that too long. You can think that, right? And then there's, there's actually writing that down. But you think very often by use of uh, linguistic signs. And Anselm's not knocking that, but he doesn't think that that's all that our thinking comprises. As a matter of fact, getting closer to the reality of the thing, he says, there's also expressing the things themselves, what it is that we're trying to express inwardly in one's mind. He says, not by using these signs at all, whether perceptibly or imperceptibly, but thinking them inwardly by use of one thing or another, a corporeal image, as when we imagine something, you know, we take something in. I suppose when we recall in memory the taste of a steak or a turnip or a bar of chocolate or uh, an India pale ale or pick whatever you like. I probably prefer the India pale ale myself. Very robust <laughs> taste, right? That's a corporeal image. That's something different. And he's going to give us some examples in just a moment. We can also understand the thing itself in a different way that gets more, according to Anselm, to the heart of the matter by thinking it through an, what he calls an understanding of reason. He doesn't explain exactly what an understanding of reason is, but that's, that's a literal translation of rationis intellectu which he's, he's using here. Anselm does not make a distinction, by the way, in his works, the way some medieval philosophers do between intellectus and ratio. They are within a continuum. They both name the same thing. So he says, for example, in one way, I say a man, I express a man when I signify him by the word man. Pretty straightforward, right? Write the, the word on the board, say it out loud, you hear it. I signify him in another way when I think that same word silent. Like what I'm thinking about Gregory Sandler or Attila the Hun, or Anselm of Canterbury, or Mr. X on the other side of the camera. Then he says, in another way, when my mind sees the man himself, the human being, him or herself, either through an image of a body, right, some, something visual perhaps, or perhaps even tactile, but some people have quite pungent auras, that they bring around with them. You know, we, there's a lot of different senses that this cor could correspond to, thinking of somebody's voice as well. Or through reason, he says, as when it thinks of his universal essence, which is rational, mortal, animal. Each of those is a way of expressing the same one thing in this case, but they pick out different aspects, and some of them are closer to the thing itself or they bring the thing into the mind, you might say, more 
than others do. The mere word man is, is just a, a word. We could also use ren in Mandarin or om in French or whatever else we want to use. You know, anthropos in classic Greek. I don't know what it is in modern Greek. Homo in Latin. And then we can think to ourselves of what it is to be a human being. That gets more towards the core of it. Anselm actually goes so far as to endorse a view on language and expression that not too many people do these days. He says, each of these three kinds of utterance corresponds to its own kind of word. The words of the kind of utterance I put third and last, when they're not about things that are natural, they're the same among all people. So he's saying that when we have a concept, the concept itself is not something that is just, you know, connected with or a copy of linguistic signs. We're actually getting at the core of what something is. So to grasp human being as rational, mortal animal, which is an achievement, is possible whether you're speaking Mandarin or Arabic or English or Latin or pick whatever else you like. If we met you know, people on Mars and they spoke some language that was conveyed with, I don't know, uh, expressive dance, uh, that was the only thing, they could still nonetheless have this natural language in common with us. But notice that it's somewhat distanced from the linguistic signs. So there, there's some work that has to be done there. And he also even talks about you know, things that use their own names in order to signify themselves, like the vowel A. There the linguistic sign, you know, it corresponds to the thing itself, right? Now, to go back to the, the issue of the word, he says, no utterance of anything whatsoever comes as close to the thing as that which consists of words of this sort. Furthermore, no other word in anyone's reason can be as similar to the thing, whether it is yet to exist or already exists, as how the thing exists in the word, which brings us back full circle. And again, I, I suggest if that doesn't make sense to you, you should watch the, the video on the pre-existence or the existence of things in, in the word. But here we're primarily interested in this distinction between what we could say is is the realm of the linguistic or semiotic and the realm of, as Anselm conceives of it, you know, grasping things more truly as they are. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.